0: Hello and welcome to another episode of For What It's Worth. I'm Evan Lucas, InvestMart's Chief Market Strategist, and joining me in the hot seat this week is Dr. Jim Chalmers, Federal Shadow Treasurer and Member for Rankin. Jim Chalmers, welcome to the program. I think you're in a very unique position for somebody who's moved into the Shadow Treasury. You've obviously just gone through an election and obviously, unfortunately for you, you didn't find yourself in power, but you've now got a scenario where you are and do have, in my view, anyway a blank slate. You've got some very interesting ideas about the economy uh, and therefore the policies that can come around that. Can I get you to sort of allude and sort of talk about where you see things at the moment and how the Labor Party wants to position itself over, not just the next three years, but over the next decade?
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Evan, for the opportunity to be on on the podcast, I've been looking forward to it. Um, And you're right, obviously we didn't get the outcome that we wanted from the election on the 18th of May. We didn't ask for another three years of opposition. But to be a bit glass half full about it, I think, you know, we're going to use this time wisely. And I think you're right, the focus should be um, on, you know, taking our time really, but to get uh, a policy agenda together, which is about growth in the economy, opportunity in our society. Uh, And that'll be my focus. Part of the job, obviously, is keeping the government up to the mark on, uh, you know, economy, which is pretty soft on their watch, um, objectively. Uh, But at the same time, to work with a heap of good colleagues that I've got uh, to put together a, a genuine agenda for growing the economy.
0: So, on that, and that's actually a really good start, there is a scenario in the economy. I know you're very, very strong at the moment about wages, and I'll come to, to that in a minute. But what I, I really want to talk to you about with regards to the economy is the big slowdown is in obviously the household sector and household spending. Yeah. And that is, you know, 55% of our GDP, as I'm sure you're well and truly over. And I understand that. My question for it though, How do you find a scenario that can actually see spending increase where we do have, as you said, soft growth, household consumption falling down, and we're also starting to see deleveraging in this country? Although savings rates are still low, it's possibly coming to the fore that the 50 bips of cuts from the RBA and the tax cuts that you have just obviously unilaterally signed through with the government – we'll probably actually more likely see it go into savings rather than spending. So my question, obviously, is how do you actually get people confident enough to keep spending?
1: Well, there's lots in that question to unpack, Evan, so let me kind of step through it as I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I welcome your focus on uh, you know demand and consumption. I think that's the defining challenge in our economy. We've got some international uncertainty, but I think our biggest uh, challenges are primarily domestic. And as the Reserve Bank has said and others have said, uh, that consumption problem that we have really is a function of having such weak incomes growth for so long. Uh, You're right to point to uh, confidence being a factor and you would have seen, I think last week, the Westpac confidence number took a big hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's at two-year lows. That is a big challenge. We need to try and uh, rebuild confidence. Part of the story, again, as you rightly identify, and the, the Reserve Bank had some very interesting research on this, Some of the issues around household saving and household debt uh, are impacting on our ability to get what is the majority of the economy growing, which is the consumption part of the economy. So what I've said uh, is that the tax cuts are important. We actually tried to do a bit more for the government on those tax cuts by bringing forward the second tranche Mm -hmm. uh, from 2022 into the current year because we thought that would, uh, you know, really turbocharge the stimulus for the economy uh, and get people spending, as you would appreciate and your listeners would appreciate. Um, You know, you need to prioritise people on low and middle incomes because they're the people most likely to spend. That would make a difference. The interest rate cuts are obviously going to make a difference, but the Reserve Bank has been doing most of the work on their own. They're running out of runway. Uh, The cash rate's 1%, which is the third of what it was during the global financial crisis so the government needs to play a bigger role there. Um, one of the things that we are putting pressure on the government to do uh, is to review and then lift uh, the rate of new start, the unemployment benefit because we think uh, apart from the important um, impact that would have on alleviating poverty, uh, getting people into the sort of condition where they can get on their feet and back into work, that would be important but it also boosts the economy because uh, all of that or almost all of that would be spent in the economy. So there are things that we can do um, to get consumption moving again, to get spending moving again in the economy. It does require a bit of confidence. Uh, and I don't want to make a heap of partisan points for your listeners on this um, podcast, but I think there would be more confidence in the economy if there was more confidence in the government that I, that they had a plan to turn around, watch, what is this really sluggish growth?
0: I actually have uh, been saying and I've been agreeing with what you've been saying publicly around the second trance. uh, If you look at what currently has been put in place, so let's just take that as as is, the expectation from the consensus from um, economists is it adds about 0.5 of a point Mm. to overall economic growth. The 50 basis points of cuts is expected to do roughly the same. So it's probably not enough and bringing the second one forward is there. There is an argument, and again, I won't let you answer this because I know that you don't want to be on the partisan side, but there is certainly a big suggestion that the surplus has actually already been reached because of iron ore. So getting back to the other part of your answer there was was wages and wage growth. And this is also getting back to what the RBA has spoken about, which is this is one of their key focuses, and it's not just on them providing stimulus. And I've, I've got a couple of things I'm going to put you to over the next couple of minutes. But the first one is... What is your view about actually looking, not just Newstart, again, something I agree with you out, but um, what is something that you see as a way to actually assisting in wage growth sustainably in the next decade that you think could actually become policy across the board?
1: Yeah, there's, well, I think there's a number of components to that, again. I mean, clearly, um, if you are worried about wages growth, you shouldn't be cutting penalty rates for weekend work. Uh, clearly, if you're worried about stagnant wages, um, you would fix up a lot of the kind of labour hire uh, and visa issues, which are undercutting um, uh, wages and salaries, particularly, I think, in the bush, particularly in areas like regional Queensland, uh, where the economy is a little bit soft uh, and where some of those structures that have been set up over the years for labour hire and, uh, and visas um, have been undercutting local wages. Uh, clearly, we need to make sure that the minimum wage um, is, uh, you know, sustainably and responsibly, but is um, you know higher than it is right now. Um, and so, there's a range of things that we can do. But I think what wage stagnation fundamentally comes down to is really two things. Uh, in the near term, it's the fact that the the economy is not growing fast enough. Uh, you would have seen the Reserve Bank talked about how. Um, you know, We need an unemployment rate around four and a half if we're going to see some of that wages growth, it's at five point, a bit over five. Um, and so there's some spare capacity there. So we need to get the economy growing faster. I'm worried the government's not ambitious enough on growth, whether it's bringing some infrastructure spending forward or other things that they might do. But that's the first category of things, get the economy growing faster. The second category really goes to the, the fact that work is quite insecure. Um, I wrote a book with Mike Quigley, the former CEO of the National Broadband Network, around some of the issues around technology and work uh, and the fact that people are feeling more insecure in the workplace, and that has flow on implications for wages. So you need to deal with uh, that longer-term issue at the same time as you try
0: and get the place moving again. Further to that, and just sort of probably prompting you for a further sort of comment, is productivity. That is the other part of the question, and the other part of the answer that the RBA believes is there is that... Stimulating productivity is certainly part of policy, on, the, probably on the fiscal side, reducing mm. red tape, reducing the ability to open business and make business move. Mm. Your thoughts on that part from the RBA as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, productivity growth has gone backwards uh, every quarter for the last four quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been weak, I think, for four or five years now. It's a big challenge. Consumption's arguably the biggest challenge. Uh, but productivity has been remarkably weak as well. Um, I think infrastructure is part of the story there. A lot of the investment that the government has planned on infrastructure doesn't kick in for five and six and seven years now. Uh, so clearly, where um, you know that won't grow the economy in the near term or give us that productivity boost that we need. But some of the other issues are important too. And I think when we get, quite often, when it comes to productivity, we get caught in this kind of old you know, clash of kind of Cold War armies around industrial relations and that sort of thing, Uh, when really we should be thinking about, like, how do we train our people over the whole span of their career to be better at adapting to and adopting technology, for example? Uh, And so what I want to do as Shadow Treasurer is make some of those issues more prominent when we're talking about productivity, we're talking about technology, we're talking about lifelong learning, uh, we're talking about all of those sorts of things in addition to um, traditional investments in infrastructure and the
0: like. So does that mean that you're thinking about possible ideas of providing you know, assistance on the job? Is it also possibly education through career? Is that sort of the way you're looking at this in terms of possible policy formation?
1: Well, I've got a heap of good colleagues working on these issues, Tanya Plibersek in education, Claire O'Neill in the future of work, Brendan O'Connor in industry, a whole range of colleagues Uh, who are uh, looking at these issues and will work collaboratively on them. But clearly, um, you know, the idea that you go, you finish school, you do a bit more educational training and that sustains you for a 40-year career, obviously those days are over. And so we need to think about how people are topping up their skills, uh, keeping ahead of change or keeping up with change, uh, so that as artificial intelligence and automation and machine learning and all of these things start to increasingly change, if not dominate some workplaces, uh, that we've given um, the workforce the capacity uh, to you know, make a meaningful contribution. So those will be the sorts of principles that guide our work over the next few years.
0: Going back to your answer a couple of times there about infrastructure and infrastructure spending, it is clearly the fastest and most direct way to really move, particularly employment uh, and the like, also seeing a fair amount of funds flow into the economy very quickly. The funds is the question. And this is my probably the next part of why I opened up saying that you're in a very interesting scenario of being with that blank slate around policy is... Possibly getting creative, Uh, sort of a a peer of yours in John Houston, who I've interviewed before. He has a very interesting idea around constructing basically infrastructure bonds using Australia's AAA credit rating to therefore go out to the sovereign wealth funds, industrial funds, etc., to start funding infrastructure that we a desperately need in this country and b to stimulate the economy. Is that something that? You would possibly consider into the future about trying to get funding for this. You know the fact that you can borrow ten year at what 1.4, 1.5 percent, and 30 at just under two. Is this something that you could see the Labor Party and possibly therefore bipartisan to get infrastructure happening faster?
1: Yeah, not really ready to um, come to a settled view on that, or to or to indicate you know necessarily a willingness. But I I would say. Uh, that I have a heap of regard for John Houston. I think he's made some terrific contributions over recent years, and so obviously when he pitches up an idea like that, I listen intently. I've also been spending a lot of time uh, with some of the the big institutions, superannuation institutions, for example, and the investment bodies that um, are associated with them. Uh, and we do have this massive opportunity in Australia with 2.8 trillion dollars in savings to invest in the future of the country. And I, I do want to see what else can be done in addition to the traditional ways of grant funding mm-hmm. and working with the states to build infrastructure. I do want to see if there are other ways that we can do it, but conscious at the same time uh, that we do have, you know, debt, more than half a trillion dollars of debt already, um, That uh, that's gross debt and that net debt has doubled under the life of this government. So got, we do have to be careful uh, about some of our settings. You're right that money is remarkably cheap at the moment. Uh, But debt has risen substantially uh, over recent years, and so we need to be conscious of that too. If people have got good ideas about how we get good productivity-enhancing infrastructure built more effectively, uh, cheaper, sooner, uh, then obviously I'm prepared to listen to that.
0: So the further on to that is if it's not going to be through debt, how is infrastructure going to be funded going forward if we can't use debt? Because I think also... And again, this isn't obviously aimed anywhere near at you or what's going on in in the whole sort of political sphere, that I think there is a general perception that debt is a bad thing. Now, debt is a tool in terms of what it is. It obviously provides the ability to, to get projects done. If it's not through using the sovereign wealth, etc. of our country, how are we going to get the infrastructure up that we have on cards that we need to actually sort of live out, not just for the next two decades, but for the next half century to a century?
1: Yeah, well, I think um, it's a combination of things. Um, It has been possible, uh, certainly in the last election campaign, we made room for a heap of direct investments in infrastructure. Uh, But one of the things that's been topical this week, uh, and this is really a credit to Anthony Albanese when he was the infrastructure minister um, in the Rudd and Gillard governments, was he brought in this microeconomic reform, which is essentially Infrastructure Australia uh, genuinely independent, making priority lists and doing other uh, important work when it comes to the infrastructure needs of the nation. But then also attaching to that, a thing called the Building Australia Fund so that when Infrastructure Australia was making recommendations, uh, they could be funded by a standing fund, the Building Australia Fund. Unfortunately this week, uh, that Building Australia Fund um, was abolished by the parliament, by the government, uh, but we will be looking for uh, ways in the future uh, to bring back a mechanism of that kind because we think that is a key microeconomic reform to get some independence uh, into the recommendations around infrastructure. So it's not, it's not just the National Party in, um, allocating money to, um, you know, projects um, in their electorates, but something rigorous and real uh, with a real board of accomplished people, but then associated with that, a funding source too. So that's another thing that we need to do in infrastructure. So grant funding, uh, the Building Australia Fund, uh, and if there are other ideas around super, uh, I'm sure that'll be part of the, the really um, intense consultation that I'll be undertaking in the next 12 or 18 months.
0: it would be remiss to me, considering you've been talking about funding there, not to have a chat to you about obviously tax being the, the funding mechanism for, for a government. Tax yeah. is is fundamentally changing. Um, you've already alluded to the you know, basically the invasion of technology into our lives over the last you know, half century. Uh, taxation is changing from a personal point of view, from a business point of view and then also from a, you know, even a GST point of view is there anything, and I understand that you obviously you are taking your time over the next three years to formulate you know, possible new policies around that but is there any part of the tax system that you still believe that not only can be reformed but can actually go back to your previous answers around productivity, around wages etc that could actually improve the government's position but also improve the overall economy's position?
1: Yeah, well, as you know, Evan, I mean, we're going through all of the policies that we announced in the last term and working out which ones we want to uh, keep, which ones we want to discard, which ones we we want to update or review uh, or tweak. Uh, And we'll take our our time to do that. That's our general approach is to take our time to get that stuff right. But I think the principles um, are uh, that we need to make the budget sustainable. Uh, If we want to make important investments in you know, skills acquisition and human capital and infrastructure and all of these sorts of things. And we need to make sure that we can responsibly pay for those commitments. Uh, Obviously, um, you know, we believe uh, that the tax system, if you want to make it more sustainable, you need to work out uh, where the most important tax breaks are and where there are others that might need to be changed. That was the approach we've taken before. We'll take a new set of policies to the next election um, but just because there's an election uh, be, having been run and, and we lost it uh, doesn't mean that some of those budget challenges we identified before have gone away. It may not be that we take the same policies to the next election, uh, but we will have policies with, which deal with the fact um, that we need to put the budget on a sustainable footing if we want to pay for these big commitments.
0: Jim Chalmers, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Evan. That's all for this week. If you're interested in finding out more about Investmart, where you'll find all of our previous episodes, as well as Alan Kohler's weekend briefing, thoughts from Australia's best financial commentators, head to investmart.com.au. Investmart, let's make wealth happen.